Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, and in this episode, we're going to be chatting with Ryan Tamasabi, a highly experienced business psychologist and the director of people science at Hive, an employee feedback platform and strategic partner. Ryan will share his insights into employee data to help drive lasting cultural changes in the workplace. Ryan started his career as a business psychologist in 2012 after joining Sir Cary Cooper and his team of wellbeing and engagement experts at Robson Cooper. During his five years there, Ryan supported a number of businesses to create cultures characterized by positive psychology and thriving employees. His experience includes working with director level professionals to help develop well-being and engagement strategies that are impactful for both the business and individual employees, as well as designing and delivering a range of projects for organizations including Nestle, Crossrail, and John Lewis. Ryan has also played a lead role in the growth of Good Day at Work, a well-being network now consisting of over 50,000 members in the UK. Ryan, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thanks, Bill. Beyond my reintroduction there, tell me a little bit more about yourself and how Hive helps organizations collect and interpret people data using insights from employees to help drive a lasting cultural change. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm a business psychologist by background, but really interested in you know what motivates people and, and what leads people to enjoy the work that they do. Uh, and what drives me is a belief that everybody deserves to enjoy what they do, no matter what they do or where they do it. It's a, it's a right that every employee should have, given how much of our time we spend at work. So, yep, you mentioned some of the organizations I've worked with there, but kind of since um, uh, joining Hive, uh, it's really been about looking at the HR tech space uh, and looking at the way in which organizations are starting to utilize new HR technologies to um, get feedback um, from their employees, some, sometimes and often on a more regular basis. However, I think there are some real kind of challenges businesses need to consider when starting to use these technologies. And so I joined Hive to really combine the technology with that strategic support, coaching and guidance to um, to enable the kind of technology to fulfill its potential uh, and to support practitioners to actually drive cultural change inside their business. Perfect. Thank you very much. So people science is derived from the latest thinking and research in occupational psychology. Uh, for those out there who are not fully familiar with it, not experts like yourself, Ryan, what is it and what are the benefits and uh, why is it increasingly being adopted by HR pros looking to evolve a traditionally so slow paced practice? Can, can you provide any stats to back this up as well? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I often like calling myself a director of people science because it avoids introducing myself to people as a psychologist, which often makes people <laughs> think you're analyzing everything they say or do. But no, I think people science is, it's about starting to, it's about helping organizations um, look more ob- objectively and scientifically at the data which they're collecting um, and to help people understand really what the data that they're getting from their people and the, del- the data that they're collecting across their business, what it's really telling them. So, really helping HR practitioners collect more meaningful data and to tell more powerful stories with that data back into the business, particularly for HR professionals um, to support them um, to really demonstrate the value uh, of the work that they do around their people. So really making sure that the work which organizations do around employee engagement, employee experience, really being able to demonstrate to the business the impact that that actually has on um, performance um, and things like customer satisfaction as well. Um, so I think it's really helping organizations 
tell better stories and to paint a much clearer picture for their people um, using data and to also give them those kind of golden nuggets and, and those bits of insights which help them to create a better experience for their employees in the long term. What are some of the, the challenges that you see when you when you first work, work with an organization? Where do you start when trying to encourage firms to, to change the way employee engagement and experience is perceived across the business? And how do you explain that adoption will lead to tangible, positive cultural and organizational change? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think a couple of challenges. One is, you know, if you think about when you buy a new a mobile phone or a new bit of technology, the first thing you want to do is get it out of the box and start playing with it, often before even reading the instruction manual, right? So that kind of like consumer behavior and that excitement of particularly around getting new technology, I often see that as being a challenge for organizations and that kind of they get the new technology that enables them to get kind of real-time insight from their employees and to kind of start asking more questions or doing more surveys. And the temptation is to just kind of run off with it and do that. So actually, you know, I believe the key to cultural change is kind of changing mindset and behavior across, um, you know, from top floor to shop floor across the organization as to why the employee experience is so important. Um, and to get organizations to think about, you know, what good data looks like and what, you know, what data and what feedback they really need to be collecting from their employee base. You know, what work do they need to do with leaders and managers to kind of get them to take more ownership and responsibility for something like the employee experience rather than, you know, using an engagement survey as an opportunity kind of once or a couple of times a year to, to, to look at, you know, where some low, low scores are or some hot kind of hot spots or red flags that you can then kind of give an adrenaline shot to through a series of initiatives and then measure it further down the line and see if it's improved. You know, what we're trying to do is get organizations to think far more strategically and purposefully about, you know, why the employee experience is so important and what that actually looks like for their employees and using that as a starting point to then think about how they can use data to tell them where they are now and kind of what they need to be doing um, over the next few years to kind of make that ambition um, a reality. How are platforms like Hive and others, how are they providing leaders and managers with the tools to listen to their employees and understand their, their expectations in the workplace? And and how, how does that help leaders to respond to employee issues and 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 come up with new ideas in a faster way the technology enables businesses to get the data and the insight in in real time and to get it immediately so no more waiting a few months for kind of um analytics to be done and um you know reports to be provided to an organization telling them what the levels of engagement are and you know what the drivers of engagement are in in different parts of the business they can get that insight really quickly they can put the data in the hands of the managers uh, more, more quickly as well but if we think about line manager population particularly in the uk where i'm based we we, we don't have that confidence that managers have the confidence themselves and the skills that they need to be able to take that type of data that sensitive people data that type of feedback from their employees out and have really kind of constructive conversations consistently across the organization so some managers will do it really well but there will be a lot of managers out there that need a lot of coaching and support before we can really trust them to take that kind of data and run with it in their teams and to kind of give us feedback as practitioners as to you know what other insight and what other data they would like to be collecting what the feedback they'd need to get from their people so the technology can facilitate and it can be a catalyst to organizations being able to drive this type of change and these better conversations within their business more quickly but we still need to upskill people we still need to challenge their current thinking and their current ways of perceiving why engagement is so important why employee experiences are so important and actually give them the skills 
to be those internal coaches uh, and so that they can actually facilitate conversations in a really positive way. Um, I currently certainly don't have confidence and I know a lot of practitioners across businesses right across the UK and globally as well don't have the confidence that their managers are ready to just up and run with that straight away. Um, so wh whilst a platform like Hive can provide the data in real time, we also provide a lot of that kind of support on the ground to businesses doing those kind of sessions, that coaching with leaders and managers to provide them with the skills which we know they need. And it's those skills that are going to unlock the type of conversations that are then going to unlock um, proper cultural change and real positive, long-lasting change inside a business. Okay, thank you. Let's talk a little bit about user adoption, Ryan. Uh, mm. So full disclosure for you here, I, I used to work for a performance review uh, technology a few years back. And uh, uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, uh, there was always a, a battle getting, getting folk to use it, right, for a bunch of different reasons, which mm. you won't necessarily go go into how can companies incentivize employees to regularly use tools like surveying tools uh to to really get the most out of them to, to really get proper data real-time data mm -hmm. uh, do, do they connect that with uh rewards and recognition programs for example I mean, certainly a platform like ours has kind of rewarded, uh, particularly recognition um, features on, on the platform so that peers can give their peers and colleagues right across the organization or within their teams kind of, you know, what we call a high five to, um, you know, thank them or, you know, um, give them that kind of well done, that pat on the back, that virtual pat on the back for something that they've done really well or for demonstrating a particular organizational value. But for me, user adoption with technology like this comes from having the confidence as an individual that your feedback is going to be heard that the organization really cares about, you know, how you're feeling and how you're perceiving working for the business, but also by asking questions that actually mean something to individuals in the, the, the role that they're doing um, and being asked questions that the organization's willing to do something about. So I'll often get asked about survey fatigue, survey apathy, user adoption, as you have there, Bill. But for me, the key is building confidence that that it's actually worthwhile taking part. Anyone who's sent a survey link is going to do a quick um, conscious or subconscious cost benefit analysis in their head of, you know, is it worth me taking the time uh, and expressing the vulnerability to provide an honest view to this survey? Or is it is it kind of not worth doing it? Am I better off just ignoring it? So we need to make sure that we build confidence in our people that it's definitely worthwhile them providing their feedback and that that feedback is going to be handled in a constructive adult way rather than kind of looking at that feedback and kind of excusing it away or not taking it on board. Another key part of this, which I touched upon, is making sure we ask questions that we're able and willing to do something about. So, you know, too many surveys previously asked people questions like, you know, um, do you believe your um, skills are accurately reflected in your pay and things like that? Well, actually, you know, Anytime we ask individuals a question about money, they're not going to say they, they wouldn't be happy to be paid more money. But often that feedback will go back in through an employee survey and people aren't going to be paid more because that's going to be, you know, it's not going to be feasible for a business. So we, we, we need to start asking the questions that really matter to individuals and making sure we act on the feedback. If we do that, they're going to have confidence in how worthwhile the survey is and they'll be more willing to continue to, to use it. And obviously word of mouth as well, other employees will, will start to build confidence that the data is going to be handled in the right way. And they'll start to take part. So for me, it's all about the integrity around how much the organization is willing to take the feedback on board. If they are and they do something with it, response rates and participation will be high. If they don't, response, response rates and participation will be low. And it's as simple as that, really. We'll be right back after this message from Espresso. 
When it comes to human resources, doing more with less while attracting and retaining rock star talent is how we're measured. And that's why Espresso built a web and mobile platform to help make heroes out of HR and people teams, while enabling companies to tie the benefits of culture to positive business outcomes. Espresso.com is culture benefits reimagined. Looking to engage and ignite your people in measurable ways? Visit Espresso.com. That's E-S-P-R-E-S-A dot com. Okay, so we've just spoken a bit about the the, um, the positive benefits, but maybe, maybe some companies go through the initial stages around investigating engagement, see that their score is higher than they anticipated, pat themselves on the back and decide that no further action is needed. What, what, what are the risks there in terms of complacency? Yeah, that's a great question as well. I would just like to add on the previous one as well. I forgot to mention there that I think incentivization in terms of, um, you know, different, almost like a financial incentive or a donation to charity, for example, for every employee response and things like that. We want to make sure that the data we get, um, and this links to your other question about, you know, seeing what your score is, you want to make sure that the data you get is valid. So you want to make sure that, you know, a 50% response rate from your organization, which is full of honest feedback, is better than an 80% response rate, which is full of false positives of individuals individuals who are just completing it to to stop having their inbox um you know being filled with survey reminders or having a manager kind of keep asking them you know why have you not completed the survey you're going to complete the survey so we want to make sure that the data that we're getting back is valid and it's a true representation of how people are feeling to come on to your next point around uh, and, and the way we do that is I, i'd already talked about that in terms of the way we communicate and position it but build that confidence in the integrity of the approach across the business that integrity does also link through to what you're talking about in terms of looking at the engagement score and how we um, how we perceive it now my, my take on it is that lots of organizations have almost used an engagement response rate and the way they've managed to um, to get um, themselves a high response rate and a positive engagement score it's because those those two kind of metrics have been seen as being the be all and end all or they're the ones that are easy and good for kind of PR opportunities to say you know we're a great place to work we have a high engagement because we get an 85 90 percent engagement response rate and actually that is to detriment because it like you say it does lead to kind of complacency um but so does so does benchmarking as well in the sense of if we if we're too focused on external benchmarking and look at how we kind of compare to other organizations within our kind of geographical location or within our industry and we see that we're higher or we're doing no worse than than the competition then we might think well we don't need to worry about engagement we're absolutely fine so i think what we need to do is organizations again coming back to how we use people sciences to start to look more objectively at the data and we've been able to give organizations a much deeper level of insight um, by looking at the data in a slightly different way rather than looking at the way we have done traditionally to show them that looking at a high-level percentage favorable engagement score can sometimes mask the real kind of truth of what's happening inside their business and the way in which that's driving kind of things like turnover and sickness absence inside their organization. So it's looking at it objectively, but it's also making sure that we use benchmarking in the right way. So use it as a bit of an in- indication of how you're doing against the competition, but don't hang your hat on it have conversations as part of your strategic thinking at the business, at, you know, whole business level. 
you know, what does good look like for us? How do we want our people to feel working here? And set yourself some really kind of challenging and stretching goals so that you, the spotlight is on yourself as an organization and that you're not going to just run a survey or commit that you're going to do a load of stuff around engagement. But then as soon as you get some survey data in, have a look at how it kind of scores and benchmarks and then kind of, like you say, pat yourself on the back and think, ah, do you know what? We actually don't need to do any work in this area. So again, it all comes around to integrity and kind of why are we doing this in the first place? And when you're really clear on the why, that's going to be what really drives some good work around this rather than just kind of going through a more kind of tick box approach with it. Yeah. And just side note, I'm, 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 I'm intrigued in terms of uh, those that are active in, in terms of user adoption levels. Are there particular departments or um, I, I don't know if you, you're able to glean uh, generational differences in terms of those that are more likely to, to use survey tools than, than others? Either, so d- d- does the sales team have too much time in its hands and, it, and it's happy to, uh, to complete quick surveys or uh, is, is it going to be more likely to be adopted by millennials and Gen Zers? Uh, over others do you have information around that yeah we do look at that kind of stuff actually bill uh, i guess uh, accessibility is often one of the key uh, key drivers of of participation as well so we we try to make our tool accessible to as many people as possible through not just using email because not everyone sat behind a computer with access to email all day so by using um, SMS and kind of looking at developing an app as well so that um, it's easier to reach people using things like kiosk mode so that, you know, we have we have um, clients where they have people kind of working out in quarries um, and things like that. Blue collar workers, no access to um, technology uh, at all to be able to complete. So, you know, we want to be able to make everyone feel like they're included and, and able to provide the organization with feedback. So um, accessibility is obviously one and there are st- different roles that, that, that obviously kind of present um, greater challenges um, for um, getting that feedback from them. In terms of generational differences, I think, you know, particularly um, millennials, Gen Z, what what you would probably see is that, you know, we're living in a world where we're constantly being asked for feedback. Um, you know, you get, off the, you get off the phone to a customer service advisor, you know, that company will send you a text straight away um, asking you to rate the, the quality of the call. You know, you, you, you go to a restaurant, you stay in a hotel, you're straight away being asked to provide feedback on the quality of your stay and what you thought of the location. It's just we're constantly being asked for our feedback. So I think the younger generations are more used to being asked for their feedback. But again, it all comes down to, you know, whether they feel that it's even worthwhile giving their feedback. You know, we know that typically millennials are more likely to be kind of quite assertive with, you know, wanting to know things around kind of career development and what their opportunities are. And they'll kind of give that feedback into the organization. But again, at the end of the day, they're going to quite quickly figure out whether that feedback's being taken on board. So um, a lot of it is about asking the right questions and just making sure everyone feels that they, they have the right access to to complete and provide that feedback. And when we get that right for organizations, what we tend to see is that there doesn't tend to be too much of a difference in terms of different um, demographics and, and, and their likelihood to respond. We might just see differences in terms of the way, the mechanism that they use to actually take part of that if that answers your question. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, now, in, in a recent interview on the 5050 Unplugged podcast, you, you said that you believe that it's vital to have more females in leadership positions in order to improve conversations and have more people-focused cultures in workplaces. Uh, so my question for you is, for any cavemen out there still struggling with this idea, can you can you spell out why this is so important? Um, I, I, I kind of... 
I hope in that <laughs> in that podcast I wasn't kind of stereotyping or, or anything like that. I guess the idea that I was trying to um, convey there is that it's a kind of a, a lot of it's about emotional intelligence, and I think kind of naturally, you know, we have lots of we see lots of um, senior lead like female um, senior leaders um, practitioners who are um, they, they kind of naturally or yes, perhaps naturally more kind of people focused and naturally more emotionally intelligent. Um, but I think a lot of it's about balance, right? So it's just about having a balance of different styles and the balance of different kind of personalities and a balance of different skills rather than having kind of particularly executive teams or lead- leadership teams that are made up of people who all have a very similar kind of style and approach, particularly in terms of their leadership. Um, so I think it's absolutely essential that you know and and lots of organizations have started to look at this in terms of how they recruit and how they kind of profile um, an executive team so for me uh, I'm very kind of passionate about um, emotional intelligence and coaching people and supporting people to develop emotional intelligence so I'm not just saying you either have it or you don't Um, I do think there are um, certain groups and and, and different demographics that perhaps do have um, higher emotional intelligence naturally but a lot of the work again that we do with leaders and managers is about kind of building then supporting them and coaching them around their emotional intelligence so that they are more likely to kind of improve and do more uh, around the employee experience and those kind of better conversations and you know thinking about the individual needs of the different people that are in their team and their department so that they're able to kind of challenge and support them in the right way so I think emotional intelligence is an absolutely critical leadership skill um, uh, but I genu- generally think it's it's great to have a kind of a balance of styles uh, across a leadership um, team uh, and I, I think it's something which you know lots of organizations have started to kind of um, cotton on to and and jump on and that we are starting to see more females in leadership roles um, I think we're seeing a lot of successful females in really senior roles which is which is fantastic and I, I think long may it continue I think we'll continue to see more females take up those um, senior roles um, you know over the coming years and I think that'll only deliver good things for an organization and for its people okay awesome and just finally for today's interview ryan how can how can our listeners learn more about you and, and how can they connect with you yeah so i'm on uh linkedin i'm quite active on linkedin um often posting uh different blogs and and content on there and and you know doing podcasts and things like this so it's always great to uh, be reached out to on on linkedin and twitter as well so on both of those it, it, you can just find me by kind of putting my name in uh there and of course um i'll be more than happy for anyone to reach me through linkedin or use my contact details on linkedin to kind of email me directly at Hive as well. Always happy to have a conversation with people who are interested in employee experience, interested in cultural change, uh, and to hear more from other practitioners around what they're doing in this area. I'm always looking to learn and and kind of develop my own knowledge and skills as well. So it'd be great to connect with some of your listeners and to kind of continue these conversations. Perfect. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Ryan Tamasibi, thank you very much for being a guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Oh, thanks, Bill. Thanks for inviting me to be on. Really enjoyed it. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.